1: You're listening to Stat, the only show beyond the diamond solely dedicated to keeping the game's heartbeat alive. All right, we are back on the Baseball United Beat. I'm your host Liam Skivington and I'm joined by today joined today by a man who everyone seems to be talking about, the founder, CEO and majority owner of Baseball United, Mr. Cash Shake. Cash, how you doing today, man?
0: What's going on, man? Pumped to be here. Love everything that you've been doing, and appreciate all your support, brother.
1: Pumped that you're here. I appreciate it. Um, so I guess let's jump right into it. Cash, you're you're a businessman first and foremost. So let's talk about entrepreneurship in general, and how what was your first venture? How did you get involved in creating your own businesses? You
0: know, I actually started my career, Liam, at Procter and Gamble, um, the largest consumer products company in the world. I was a uh, a, a soap and detergent salesman for, for a while on the tide brand and old spice, um, you know, slinging some deodorant and, and, uh, got a chance to build brands and learn from great people for, for 10 years, the first 10 years in my career. And, uh, it's an amazing, amazing company, it really a leadership factory teaches you about principles and values and, and obviously the core tenets of marketing and brand building. Um, so I was able to do that for, for a while, the last three years, of my career at Procter and Gamble, I actually spent international. So I was leading a lot of our digital marketing, our social marketing, our new brand building um, in what we called low income markets. So that was all of uh, Latin America, South America, Eastern Europe, Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. And um, so I spent some time actually here in Dubai where I'm at right now, Um, was here for about a year living and working as, a, as a, an American expat here, started to fall in love with the city um, back then. And then I really started to um, see the potential of the region. And that was 10 years ago. Um, after after p and I spent a couple of years at GoPro, uh, leading marketing at GoPro camera company. You know, In the early days, the first GoPro office was smaller than uh, the little office that I'm in right now. It was a little white cottage on the edge of the Pacific Ocean in Half Moon Bay, California. Um, but after about a year, um, we, we grew it into a billion dollar uh, company, the fastest growing camera, camera company in the world. We moved our offices to Silicon Valley and, um, you know, the company was off to the races back then. And it was a great um, experience and learning environment for me to see the difference between the corporate world that I came from. And even though I came from one of the best companies on the planet to go from there to GoPro um, was like going from, you know, Hawaii to the North Pole, you know, was so different. And, uh, you know, the, the, the muscles that you need, the mindset that you need, the energy, the culture is so different in a startup environment. And I got a taste of it at GoPro. To be honest, those guys had already done most of the hard work before um you know i had come on board i was just kind of helping us in the growth phase but i got a little taste of you know the jungle like i call it um because i always say like the corporate world and again i say this with all due respect but the corporate world is more like the zoo you know um you're the same animal like if you're a lion in the zoo You're the same animal, but you know each meal that you're getting. You know you're getting your breakfast at 9 a.m., your lunch at noon, dinner is at 5. You know when you're getting your bath. You know the the confines and and the surroundings really well. And you just traipse around your little square perimeter over and over. But when you're out in entrepreneurship, it's the full-on jungle. You know, you got to hunt for yourself. You got to kill for yourself. You don't know where you're going to be the next day. You don't know the environment. The path's different. Every day there's a new challenge because you're out in the wild. Um, And and that's what I got a taste of at at GoPro. And then I ended up leaving GoPro uh, to start my first company called Be Somebody, which was a media platform focused on inspirational content, uh, focused on underserved communities. Um, Grew that for a while. Um, Had a great, great learning experience. Tons of ups and downs, some very high highs, some low lows, like getting my ass kicked on Shark Tank in 2016. And then, um, going head to head with my boy, Mark Cuban, um, but then, um, really had a great rebound with be somebody was able to build it, um, into a pretty significant platform. Sold that in, uh, 2018, um, built a training platform that I also sold to the Kroger company. Kroger is the largest grocer in America. Um, shortly thereafter, it was a training platform focused on underserved communities. Sold that, um, A year later and then i uh, started my agency bsb which is um now one of the fastest growing marketing and sports marketing agencies in the midwest of the us and um you know started building from there um had a one or two clients to start with now we've got a little over a dozen clients Built out a sports practice, became an agent because I love um, sports and thought we could represent athletes better. And then along the way, started connecting with a lot of great MLB guys. And baseball's always been my love and passion. And um,
1: from there, you know, kind of jumped to this journey that we're on now. So you mentioned the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, quote, getting your ass kicked on Shark Tank. What was that experience like for you, Cash? Cuz so many entrepreneurs go through this. They're told no by prominent people who are um have accomplished more professionally than them at that point. What is that like and how do you how did you leave Shark Tank? Like what what was going through your head?
0: Well, you know, I mean any any time you're trying to build something, um whether you're on Shark Tank or talking to your you know your cousin Um, or your neighbor down the street, most people will tell you all the reasons it won't work. You know, most people project their own fears and insecurities onto you. Um, You rarely have a conversation when you're having an idea about something where everyone you talk to is like, hell yeah, that's amazing. Like you you can go do it. Um, You know, people tell you, don't you know, 90% of startups fail? And I would would always be like, well, what about the 10% that don't, you know? And um, so there's a there's an amount as an entrepreneur, uh, an amount of personal belief that's required and necessary, you know, in yourself and in your dream and the vision that you have. Um, You know, one of my favorite quotes in life is a Michelangelo quote. It's I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And it's really about vision. It's about seeing something that most people can't see or don't see. You know, most people see a big block and you see something beautiful in that block. And as an entrepreneur and as a creator and a builder, anyone with the dream, you pick up the chisel and you start chiseling away at that thing. While most people are like, what the hell are you doing? You know, there's nothing there. But soon over time, as you start getting a little bit further along, a little further along, start chipping away, chipping away close one deal, make one thing happen, you know, get your first sale, all those things and people start to see a little outline of the wing, you know, they start to see the the angel coming to life. And then the funny part at that point everyone's like, "Oh, I knew you were going to succeed. I always knew, you know, cash that idea. I always knew from the beginning." That's just kind of how life is and people are. So, you know, for me, Shark Tank was the most epic stage to kind of fall flat on your face on, to be honest with you. And it was a painful experience when it happened because, um, you know, I got 60,000 emails in a 48-hour period. Not even talking about Twitter, DMs, anything like that, but 60,000 emails, about 42,000 telling me I was the dumbest. That's the G-rated version, dumbest dude that's ever been on Shark Tank. So like, I was, I was like, I mean, I, I honestly cried afterwards, you know, because um, it's a long story about Shark Tank, I've told a, a lot of times, but you know, it's reality television and there's 18 contestants usually a year and nine people got to get a deal and nine don't. And you all go to auditions together, you go through a bunch of processes and they tell you right, who wants a deal, who doesn't, you don't, people who don't want a deal is because you've got like other investors and all that. So I knew I wasn't going to get a deal because we didn't actually want one. But I thought I'd outsmart the system, and I'm a pretty good speaker, and we had a great you know plan, and I thought I was gonna put on a little show, get some free marketing, but they were like two steps ahead of me, and they're they already had a caricature they were gonna you know execute, so it didn't work out well and um and that was a painful experience because you know um you know it was embarrassing and it was also just uh, a, a big letdown because what I thought it was going to do, which was going to get us a lot of marketing exposure for the company, um, turned out to be negative. And, uh, and at that point, anybody that was on this ship pretty much jumped off the ship. And it was just, you know, my mom, my, my, my brother, and, you know, one or two other people that hung around. And it was a, it was a humbling experience. And As I was mentioning, it it was just kind of magnified of what you hear often that when you're trying to build something, this one was on a stage of millions of people watching that, by the way, my episode became the number four ranked and most watched Shark Tank episode of all time. So it's been rerun 33 times, dude, 33 times. And what's crazy is, and you know, every time my IG starts blowing up, I'm like, oh shit, they must have run Shark Tank rerunning again. Mm -hmm. But that was in 2016, man. And in the early days, for the first three years, people would talk like hella shit, you know, when they saw it, like, oh, you're an idiot, whatever. Then I sold the company and, you know, had a pretty good exit. Started to change a little bit. Then I started building build another company. Then we built the agency. And now we got Baseball United. And nowadays, everyone's like, dude, you were awesome on Shark Tank. They totally screwed up. And, you know, that's just how the mob is, man, and how the crowd is. And all that to say is like, you know, you, you got to have the self-belief. You obviously got to learn fast, learn quickly. And you got to be able to detach yourself from a lot of the little steps along the way that you thought you had laid out because the journey is not uh, linear in that way. I would say the mo- the two most important points are the moment, which is what what are you doing right now, and the vision, which is that beautiful place that you want to go. All the steps in between, man, they change and they And what I've seen is when people get too attached to those steps saying, okay, I want to do this and this and this, then that's where they they struggle. And what I learned on my journey is like, you know what? I had this plan. Like, for example, our Baseball United Showcase was originally supposed to be four franchises playing four games with our government partners. That wasn't going to be able to happen. So I had to quickly in 24 hours pivot to a two-game, you know, two-team showcase. And if I had gotten so locked into the old concept, we wouldn't be playing in November, you know? And, and I learned how to pivot
1: and shift and move as needed in order to move things along. So cash, what initially attracted you to baseball? Like at what age were you like, okay, baseball is like kind of my sport. I love it. And then how did that evolve into baseball United? Well, I've always loved baseball. You know, I, I grew up in Houston, Texas. I was born in Houston, Texas.
0: Um and um we had a cool program when I was in school with my elementary school through middle school where if you got perfect attendance, you got free tickets to the Astros game. And this was back in the Astrodome back in the day. So um, you know, I, I started getting a love of the game in those early days. I played T ball um and my T ball team when I was five years old, we actually won a state championship. There's actually a T ball state championship in Texas and we won. So I kind of got infected with the, with the love of the game there. And then I was just trying to, it was my main motivation to get perfect attendance. So I would get four games I could go to and I, you know, and those four games that I got to spend at the Astrodome Astrodome growing up each year from, you know, first grade all the way to sixth grade were the highlights of my year. And, you know, and, um, you know, I know I got a baby face, but I'm four, I'm 44 years old, you know? So, like that was back in the day in 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 the '80s when you had you know Glenn Davis and and Billy Doran and Kevin Bass and all these guys playing for the Astros. '86 is when I really started to fall in love with the game. Was when the Astros and the Mets were playing in the playoffs. You know, it didn't turn out well for my from for my Astros, but it was an amazing, amazing playoff run and experience, and just fell in love with it, man. I played it all the way through, you know, up and up through high school and. Um, had a little growth spurt, I'm, I'm, I'm six, four, had a little mini growth spurt and then switched more to basketball and played basketball through, you know, college and growing up and things like that. But baseball was always my, my, my first love. And, um, that's been, that's been in one of the coolest parts of this journey of being able to do something that you love with people that you care about, you know,
1: two part question, cash, uh, first part. So the 86 Astros, who was your favorite player on that team? You know what I love Mike Scott, Mike Scott pitcher
0: from the from the Astros. He was a no hitter. You know, you know, I think Astros Hall of Famer now officially. Yeah, so um he was a great great player. But I love everyone on that team like Glenn Davis um you know back in the day you hit 25 30 homers and that was a you know that was a ton before mm-hmm. the different eras in baseball but at that time he was one of the best home run hitters in the league um so i, I love those guys jose cruz you know astros legend jose cruz so mm-hmm. you know I, I love all sports you know i'm just a, uh am insanely uh, passionate about sports like you and a lot of other folks but um but the astros by far are my number one team so i've had a good run the last few years um um scandals aside but i've had I, i've had a really a, an awesome time watching them do do great but you know what's crazy about me liam is i'm I was such such a psychopath from a baseball standpoint growing up as back in the day the houston chronicle on sundays they had a special sports edition to the paper and it would be like a baseball section on the last page they have all the teams rosters and all their stats and literally every sunday i had a little notebook i would copy all the players stats from all the teams and put it into my notebook like it wasn't anything different than what was already in the, the paper <laughs> but i would copy it and just have it in my notebook man because i was just so like into it and obsessed with it the numbers and all that and um just kind of geeked out on on the history of baseball the you know pageantry the, the numbers so man i've loved the game for a long time
1: Second part of the question, what sport were you better at, baseball or basketball? You know what? I personally think I was better at baseball. I mean,
0: everyone would probably disagree, disagree but I what think position? I had uh, pitcher, center field. Pitcher and center field. Played a little bit first base as well. Um, but, you know, I think naturally uh, I was better. You know, I was more trying to be the little league version of andrewton simmons not at shortstop but i was more of a, a fielder um you know I, I had a pretty good glove and pretty good arm but um you know it's, I, I always wish i played a little bit longer and didn't transition fully into basketball because it was just an awesome game but 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 the real honest truth is now that i see the the, the quality and the talent the guys that play around around me professional players from all over the world i mean you know might be the hardest thing in sports to do is to hit uh, a baseball you know at the professional level so um you know I got so much respect for guys that have pursued their careers and playing at any level of professional baseball. people don't understand how difficult it is i wouldn't i would i wouldn't have done 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 well at that level <laughs>
1: <laughs> so cash, how did we get here? You started and sold a couple businesses when did the initial thought of baseball united come into your mind well
0: like i said i started um
1: bsb which is a
0: creative and marketing agency and then we started getting a lot of clients that we were bringing into the sports world with athlete partnerships brand integrations league partnerships one because we were passionate about it and i'm passionate about it, but also because we really saw it building brands and building businesses with strategic partnerships and And I got so into it that, um, you know, I started representing players on a lot of their off the field opportunities in the marketing and endorsement space. Then COVID hit. And um, actually, we we had a program with the Kroger company, again, the largest grocer. Kroger is a $120 billion company based in Cincinnati. Um, But they're also a really regional business because they have different banners in different places. So Kroger's Ralph's in LA and it's Smith's in Utah and, you know different um names in different places. It's a regional business and and so is major league baseball for the most part. If you think about baseball, like it's different than other sports because obviously like an Astros player is not going to do that well, you know, in in, in Cleveland and the Dodgers player is not going to do that well in San Diego, things like that. So during that time of of COVID, there was um, as you as you may recall when there was a push for vaccinations. Um, black and brown communities were getting more affected with the COVID virus, but they were very um, low represented on vaccination. So COG asked us to do a kind of a public awareness campaign to drive vaccinations in those communities. So we put together um, with BSB a program with Major League Baseball and the PA with 12 different um, guys, uh, you know, from different teams. Yuli Gurriel, Mookie Betts, Mickey Cabrera. Um, you know, uh, Tim Anderson to do this campaign and one of the guys was Hall of Famer, Barry Larkin, who was Cincinnati guys, you know, um, and then that campaign was super successful just for the, for the business, for the community, for the PA, for MLB. And in the process, Larkin and I got really, really close. Um, it was the first time that we met. Again, it was 2020. But we just hit it off like the first time we saw each other and um from that point on he he asked me to help him with some different things on in in his his um life and his career off the field business opportunities et etc we started working together and we really then started talking around 2021 beginning of 2022 about the state of the game the state of baseball and at that time as you know i mean um, and still today there there was a lot of negative headwinds that the game is facing in in the u.s like for example the 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 baseball fan the average age of a baseball fan in the u.s is 57 years old it's the oldest fan base in all of professional sports you know when you look at kids 18 and younger in the u.s today and you ask them what per what percentage Consider baseball their favorite sport. It's only six percent of kids under eighteen. Thirty years ago, it was sixty percent. Right? Then you look at the, the the lack of diversity in the game. I mean, there's less black players today in Major League Baseball than, than there were when Jackie Robinson retired. You know, obviously there was these issues with pace of play. So we started really thinking about how can we help this game that we love not start to erode or disappear, particularly with young audiences, diverse audiences. And, and long story short, as we started kind of going through what we could do, all roads led to international. We really felt like the, game, the game's growth was gonna come internationally. And Lark um, is really an OG of international baseball. I mean, he, he coached the Brazilian national team years ago, the WBC, he's been in, in the Far East, in Japan, Korea, teaching and developing the game. He spent time in India. He was in the movie Million Dollar Arm, if you remember the Disney movie that was about Rinku Singh and and, and the guys in the whole um, finding prospects in India who could pitch. So Lark has been like an OG of international baseball. And when we started talking about it, we started trying to connect with other people who may have an interest to grow in growing the game. And we were able to connect with my brother, John Medrick, who's our, our vice chairman now and executive uh, VP of Baseball Ops. John is another guy like us that just loves baseball since since birth. Played a little bit growing up, but um, you know his son's actually a high caliber baseball player now. But John is married to a Dominican woman, and through that got even more into the game because, as you know, Dominican Republic baseball is religion still today. It's not falling off anywhere. They he and his family started academy Dominican. You know, recruiting, training, developing players. And mm-hmm. through that, long story short, they they had a connection to Mariano Rivera. So we were able to connect with Mo, which was an amazing, you know, experience for me to meet meet Mo and talk to him about growing the game and the potential. And long story short, myself, John Medrick, his brother Warren Medrick, Barry Larkin, and Mariano Rivera came together to build baseball united. And and the idea originated when we said growth was international. We started by saying, look, there's a region of the world in the Middle East and South Asia that's got two billion people. A billion of them are cricket fans. So it's truly the bat and ball epicenter of the universe. And when we started this journey, we said if we could convert those fans, inspire them to fall in love with the game that we love with baseball, obviously, not only would it be amazing business to grow, but more importantly, it'd be an opportunity to, to resurrect this game in a way that a lot of people hadn't been attacking it before. And what's been awesome, Liam, is Now that I've been in the market, I mean, here in Dubai right now, and we've been in the market for over a year, what we learned on the journey is that there's actually a ton more baseball fans in this region, in this part of the world, than we ever imagined. You know, there's 53 million avid baseball fans in India alone, which for perspective, that's more avid baseball fans than we have in the United States right now. Um, You know, there's there's 450,000 here in the city of Dubai. So when we found out that there was a ton of baseball fans here, in addition to the cricket fan base, then we knew we were on to something special. And um, since then, we've been grinding. We've been working our, you know, our tails off this past year to try to build something special.
1: So, Cash, what are the challenges you think or that you've already faced of converting these cricket fans into baseball fans? Because the games are kind of significantly different, although they do have their similarities.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you're you're catching the ball, you're throwing the ball, and you're hitting the ball. Um, and so the fundamentals and uh, basics of movement and action are the same. Um, there are differences in rules, but there are similarities in vernacular as well. When you talk about um, things like innings and and cricket, they have speed balls. We got fast balls. They got spin balls. We got curve balls. You know. I had a bunch of our guys, as you know, um, we've got a legendary ownership group. I had Felix Hernandez, um, you know, King Felix out here with the the national team of the, the UAE cricket players teaching them how to throw curveballs and they were teaching him how, him how to throw spin balls in cricket. So um, there's a lot of similarities, but education is a huge part of it, man. I mean, um, teaching people the game. People got to learn the game before they love the game. Um, but from a, Overall difficulty level, that's one challenge, man, but there's so many challenges. You know, a lot of people ask me, "Cash, this feels like such a great idea. How, how come nobody's ever done it before? Like, why hasn't anybody tried this before? And the, and the honest truth is, it's because it's so hard. The barriers to entry to do something like this are insane. You need multiple government partnerships. You need a full understanding of culture and, and nuance in a whole different part of the world. There's rules and regulations and permitting that are very different from back home in the states, you know, that we're used to. It's not as easy to start a business. It's not like you and I go on a legal zoom and we create our LLC in 45 minutes, you know. I mean, there's just so many things you got to do just to get the infrastructure right, you know. But everything that we're doing we're doing and building from scratch. Broadcasts. There's no camera crews. There's no production companies that ever shot baseball before here. Even knowing how to follow the ball is a whole new teaching and learning experience that we have to train and teach people. Nobody's called the games out here. We have to teach and train that. You know, um, Obviously, the rules piece, the recruitment of players, the development of players, the sponsorship, uh, the, the event that we're doing, the ticket sales... Everything is hard, you know. You know, somebody uh, was asking me the other day. He's like, "Man, seems like you're trying to climb a mountain with this uh, project." I said, "Dude, we're trying to climb the seven sacred summits." You know, broadcast is Mount Everest. Ticket sales is you know K two. You know, and you go along all the different verticals of things we have to do. Everything's a massive challenge. Converting cricket fans is definitely one of them. Um, You know, this is not easy, Um, and that's why it's important that. We signed a 15-year deal with the UAE government, which was a historic deal. It's the first time in history that any international organization, a non-local organization that was given the rights and sanctions that we were to our franchises and to play the game here, start a professional league. And what that really reminds us, Liam, is that this is a long journey. You know, it starts November 24th and 25th with our showcase. Um, Season one starts in 2024, first full season. But it's going to take some time man. this stuff doesn't happen overnight, Um, you know, and we want to keep learning, keep growing, have little wins along the way. We'll we'll mess up here and there, try to get better and evolve like I've learned to do um, and hopefully create something for the long term.
1: So, Cash, you mentioned um, part of the ownership group, Mariano Rivera. You also have Nick Swisher, uh, Robbie Cano, a bunch of guys. When you approached them and told them about this league initially, how much did you have to essentially sell the league in order for them to buy in? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, I really believe in the, in the 14 guys now
0: that we have as part of our ownership group um, and definitely take me out of this, this statement. But our, our MLB ownership group, I believe is the highest pedigree ownership group in all of professional sports. Like I would challenge anyone to to find an ownership group that has the legends of that caliber that played the game at the level these guys played it, that are now have put their own dollars into it and are are part of the the ownership suite. Um, so we're very blessed and grateful for it. We've we've got obviously Lark and 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 Mariana, who we started with the next person we brought on was Adrian Veltre, actually. He was, he was like the third big name and really the first outside of that inner circle that was like working on this and brainstorming it. So that was the hardest one. Like Beltre was by far the hardest because it was, it was over about a year ago. We hadn't done anything yet. We had like a Presentation and you know had his ideas and I was pitching him and you know we had probably about five or six long meetings with Beltray himself with Adrian and you know he's an inquisitive guy very smart guy asked a lot of questions got his little poker face you know um, wasn't wasn't really trying to show too much emotion but I knew he was interested because he kept signing up for more and more calls and then he's got a, a world class team around him of advisors and and accountants and legal teams and consultants. And like that dude put me through the ringer, bro. I had to go through every single one of them. I mean, literally that was an insane process, uh, you know, a very on a one to 10. It was definitely a 10 out of 10 difficulty to, to try to close Mr. Beltre. But once we did, which thankfully we did, it really um, was really the first big milestone outside of our kind of founding group. Because um, Adrian is not only um, a legend, maybe one of the best, if not the best, third baseman of all time um, on the field, but he's so respected off the field as a leader, as you know, a clubhouse guy, as someone that does things the right way, who makes smart decisions. So when we closed Beltre, then we quickly got Elvis Andrews in, uh, on board, who was his you know double play combo down in Texas when they played together, and in it and. And actually, they're both probably loving it right now because the Rangers are one game away from World Series. As you know, those guys played in back-to-back World Series back in the day. Unfortunately, they didn't have a chance to win one. So I know they're really excited. And threw throughout the first pitch of Game Two, um, you know, just uh, just this past few days ago. But we got Elvis Andrews, and then we got Felix Hernandez, who Adrian played with in Seattle. And those guys, then once we had that momentum. Then we started to grow. We 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 launched kind of in some pretty big ways, uh, as you know. I mean, my background is in brand building. Our team has done an incre- uh, incredible job with launching our franchise and our brands and our announcements and our marketing, our social. So once we had those guys, then it really started to catch on. Then Nick Swisher started hitting me up. He was DMing me on Instagram, like, dude, I want to talk. He was kind of like selling me, like, bro, I want to get in. I want to get in. And we got on a call. I, I always tell Nick that was the The easiest. Beltre was the hardest. Swish was the easiest. He was like, dude, I'm in whatever it is. Here's my money, which was pretty awesome. And Swisher has been an amazing ambassador for us. Then we closed Ryan Howard, who also both Swish and Ryan Howard are part of the commissioner's ambassador program for Major League Baseball, the CAP program. So that was pretty awesome because then we got a little bit more exposure into that group. We signed Albert Pujols as our global ambassador, took things to another level. And then since then, you know, Robbie Cano has been a huge, huge signing for us. We've got Bartolo Colon. We've got Matt Barnes, who's an all-star reliever down in Florida. We've got Shane Victorino, Robinson Torino. I mean, really the list goes on and on and and we're just so grateful and blessed because without those guys, there's no way we'd be here. I mean, they've added so much credibility, so much respect, you know, so much class to our league. And they're not just great players, but they're just great ambassadors of the game. Um, people that other people look up to. And we've got a few more guys that we're going to announce pretty soon here in the next uh, couple of days. And, uh, I kept, I thought we were done. I'm like, i we're focused on the showcase, but guys want to be involved,
1: which is pretty cool.
0: And, and, and we're really like a league that's been built by players for players,
1: you know, which is pretty cool. Cash. So you mentioned how Nick Swisher kept hitting you up on Instagram. I'm going to assume that you have a lot of people at this point, hitting you up, trying to get involved. How do you, like determine like this person's a fit this person's not
0: you know what that's the hardest part honestly dude um and, it, and it's it's uh something I'm really grateful for because if you told me a couple years ago you know Albert Poolholz would be calling me four times a day with ideas on how we could grow the game I would have been like hell no it'd be it would be a fantasy now I'm like, damn it, Albert's calling me again. You know, like he's <laughs> one more idea today. So it's crazy how things evolve. Because, and I love Albert, but you know, so many people are messaging me and hitting us up. I mean, for example, for players, we get over a hundred inbound requests on our website for players who want to play in the league. We only need fifty players for the showcase. We have eighteen hundred players in our database already. So. Um, kind of gives you an idea of the interest from a player standpoint, and that's one thing I feel the worst about because I wish we could give opportunities to all 1,800 players, but as you know, there's just limited spots. But um, which I'll circle back to because I think that's an interesting uh, conversation about why there's so many great players out there that that are looking for opportunities. But players, we got people who want to work in our front office, people that want to work in marketing, people that want to be part of our scouting team, um, and the cool thing about it, man, is that we're going to have opportunities you know, God willing, knock on wood, we perform well in the showcase, there's going to be a lot more opportunities at that level for a lot more people. We're still keeping this team um, pretty lean. It's kind of one of my um, company building strategies. I call it lean team of all stars, the least amount of people necessary to do great work. And we, we've got a lot less people than folks think about for what we're trying to tackle and do. Um, but once we prove the model, our showcase here in November is really a proof of concept for us, shown that we can actually bring professional players, put on a professional game, host people in a stadium, broadcast it to the world. Once we do that, then we're going to be able to bring on more people, grow, probably bring on some more capital and really take things to the next level. But there's so many people hitting us up for that. And honestly, now so many people who want to invest or even buy franchises, we haven't even started selling our franchises uh, yet. So Uh, I think everybody sees the angel in the marble now, you know, but, um, we still got a lot of work to do, man. I wake up, uh, with a little bit of an anxious feeling every morning, have trouble going to bed at night just because I know a lot of people are counting on us and, you know, we don't want to let those folks down and, um, it's hard. It's a tough environment too, right now in the Middle East, as you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, super safe here in Dubai, but, um, you know, the climate is a little bit tough, um. And so there's a lot of challenges in
1: front of us, but we're going to do our best to leave it all in the field and put on a great show in November. So, Cash, when you're having these meetings with potential new owners, bringing people into that group, is your, and sorry, not to back up too much and kind of beat a dead horse, but is your pitch, do you have the same kind of intensity that you had on Shark Tank? Is that you or was that kind of just like a, a bit for Shark Tank?
0: You know, that was a little bit of a bit. I mean, that was part of the script, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a passionate dude, man. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I speak from the heart and I think people, um, people, I think know that. And, um, everybody that we've been able to connect with, um, I think has appreciated that, you know, um, I always say like my number one thing in life is actually not, it is not go make as much money as possible. My number one thing in life is to do something I'm passionate about that makes a positive impact on the world. That's what I've been trying to do since I stepped out of the zoo uh, 12 years ago and I left the corporate world. Number two is to go do that and build it with people that I respect and I care about. And I love going to, to work with every day and be in the trenches with. And number three is to be successful doing it. And one piece of that success is a monetary success. Like, you know, everybody wants to be able to build something and Part of the scoreboard is financial. Um, but when I talk to to guys and we talk to investors, we really talk about it in that context. I mean, yeah, we want to go build a business that gets you return on your investment and we believe we actually have a, a massive market opportunity here in a white space market. We understand the verticals that we can drive some significant revenue in from our broadcast, sponsorship, ticket sales, et cetera. But we're not waking up every morning because of that. We're waking up because we love this game, because we want to grow this game, because we want to share it with people, because we understand this part of the world is on fire for sport. You know, we want to build it the right way with the right people. And I honestly, Liam, spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, I talk a lot about just the international landscape and the opportunity and all the, the research and all the learnings that we've done, you know, as Baseball United uh, to to really assess the opportunity. I, I really believe that there's not many entities out there that know international baseball as well as we do. You know, we, we've partnered with all the baseball federations in the region, uh, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Nepal, Afghanistan. Palestine, Saudi Arabia, we built the, the federation here in the UAE. We've been on the ground in the markets. We've learned everything that we're doing. We're just about to announce a partnership with the D- Dubai Little League. We've been in the community events. We understand the national team structures. We understand the professional um, you know, landscape as well with all the leagues around the world. We've got connections with more than a dozen professional leagues around the world, including of course, Major League Baseball which we've got a great relationship on. So we really spend a lot of time on the market and the depth of knowledge and the passion that we have to unlock it. And it usually turns out well, man, when we have those conversations with other people who who feel that same way.
1: Cash, what are some of the nuances? You mentioned your government partners. So like, I want to start a franchise or a franchise want, needs to be added to Baseball United. What are the hoops you have to jump through in order for a franchise to be approved? Oh man. I mean,
0: that's a, that, that's a conversation we got to have over a couple bourbons somewhere else, you know, okay. not on, we can't document all of it, but I mean, it, look, it's, it's difficult. You know, Nick Swisher said it, said it best the other day when I was talking to him, he's like, man, it's not our home turf. So it's not our rules. And we have to, we have to understand it and learn. Um, you know, there's a lot of things here that um, can change quickly and, and in a way, you know, from an investor standpoint, that is a risk, right? People are sometimes a little bit scared. I think the people who we had great conversation with that didn't invest were a little bit hesitant investing because we're working in a part of the world that they don't know and that we don't fully, we haven't fully mastered yet. You know, I know this place a hundred times better than I did a year ago though. And we're learning fast and I'm our majority investor as well. So like, you know, even myself putting in my own harder money and, you know, I, I I was broke in 2016 after Shark Tank, you know what I mean? So everything that I earned, I I really earned um, building with my bare hands. And um, so it means a lot that I've invested as much as I have in in Baseball United. Um, And I understand the risk as well. Part of the risk are you have to be able to navigate the culture, the governments, the environments. The great thing about it, though, is that the folks out here and leaders out here, they do want to, to grow. They do want to embrace sport, you know? sometimes they work at a different pace or a different kind of context or cadence than we do that we're used to. Cause in America, we're used to just like, boom, 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 you know? Um, so we're, we're, we're learning that. And, um, what I'm learning again, you know, life, it keeps teaching me this is that sometimes we're gonna have to shift and pivot. Um, so I think that part is, is, is important and just learning the customs here, you know, learning the ways, uh, of doing things, um, has been a learning experience you know, but I I would say it's very, it's very difficult as an American company to go start a business overseas. It's no matter what anyone tells you, I mean, just getting the electricity turned on in this place was a monumental uh, experience, you know, just getting our our, our parking passes was a monumental experience. And um, anyone that tells you something different is lying to you or never done it. I mean, this has been freaking hard, dude. But I feel grateful because I just know that, like I said, the barrier of entry is so difficult. It's not like someone else can just pull up and 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 decide to build up a league. It doesn't happen that way. Um, there's a There's a lot of relationships, there's a lot of um, contacts, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be built. And even when we speak with Major League Baseball, we have the same conversation. You know we've got a great relationship with MLB, had, had multiple meetings with Commissioner Manfred, with Chris Maranek, and their team. Um, obviously love everything that they're doing um, every day to grow the game and big fans of everything that MLB does. They even will tell you like, no, we don't have an interest to, to try to create MLB out there. Um, it's just, there's too many unknowns, but they're like, if you can crack it, then we'd love to partner with you, you know? And, Mm. and that's what we're, we're trying to do. We're trying to be the tip of the spear to crack it out here. Um, and hopefully then open up a lot of opportunities for a lot of people and a lot of organizations.
1: Why do you think there's so many talented players right now looking for jobs?
0: Well, great question. I mean, as you know, Major League Baseball pretty significantly contracted over the last few years. They cut the draft in half. They cut the minor league system in half which resulted in this surplus of very talented players that five or six years ago would have had an opportunity in the MLB system that don't have it anymore. Um, the other thing that's happened is that the um, the way that contracts have been signed and are being signed the last few years has evolved as well. Nowadays, and I learned this when I was an agent as well as part of BSB Sports, like guys do have their arbitration years where they'll have, you know, four or five, six years sp- playing on their rookie contract, basically, and spending some time in arbitration. And then if they're still performing, they'll get one good contract, one big contract. After that contract is over, what we're seeing is unless you're a Trout or a Soto or a Tani or someone like that, a lot of guys that traditionally or typically would have gotten deals four or five, six years ago are no longer getting deals when they hit that 31, 32 years old and at that stage of their career, teams are instead trying to save that capital, pay certain players, hire money, and then invest in their farm system and continue to bring folks up. You see it even in, you know, in our hometown, uh, our US headquarters of Cincinnati, um, you know, they went through a similar process. So what that's resulted in, Liam, is that you've got a ton of guys in their 30s that can still play. Guys like Didi Gregorius, who's only 32, 33 years old. Um, you know, guys like Anderson, Simmons, same age, four-time Gold Glover. You know, um, we've got the Panda, Pablo Sandoval. You know, two-time All-Star, three-time World Champion, 37 years old, can still play, and it, and is looking to come out in the best shape of of his life when when we take. He the looks, field. Good. He but, looks really yeah, good. He looks really good. He nope. looks good, man. Um, Robinson Cano's 40 years old. I mean, look. I mean, I grew up watching Nolan Ryan pitch until he was 45. Yeah. You know. Obviously, you got Scherzer and Verlander trying to do the same thing. I mean, Robin's, Robbie Cano is in, in really good shape. He can still play. And there's and those are some of the big names. Uh, but there's so many more guys that, you know, don't have an opportunity in Major League Baseball that can still play. And if you look at our draft that we just had, you know, last week of the 80 guys we drafted, um, 75% were originally drafted by a Major League Baseball team. Only. Almost half played at the big league level in our first four rounds, 29 out of the top 32 picks played Major League Baseball, you know. So, I mean, you're talking about like legitimate professional quality players. And I think when we had our draft, man, that's when the excitement went to the next level. I kept telling our team when everyone knows who's playing, it's going to take everything to the next level because they're like, holy shit, like this is some guys you can
1: really Mm -hmm. play. So, yeah. So last week you guys had, I saw you guys had a ton of media going out after that draft. So it was yeah. the players in the league was kind of kept internal for the most part then. Right. Yeah, Because there seemed yeah. to be a, like a, a real shock around the baseball community that uh, yeah. Pablo Sandoval, Robbie Cano, Didi Gregorius, all these guys are playing in this brand new league. Yeah. Yeah. We kept that under, uh, under lock and key for a while.
0: It was hard to do. We told all the players they can't say anything. Um, talking about challenges and you know working with our partners here, our government partners. We had to delay the draft. We had to change the format. We had to do all these different things. And it just kept pushing it out, pushing it out. And I think some people were like, what the hell is going on? When is this thing going to happen? And we were finally you know, blessed to be able to do the draft. Um, it was all virtual because we were all here and everybody was separated based on the timings. But it was just so cool to finally share with the world the guys that guys are going to be part of this. And And those are the first guys, first 80 guys that are going to be part of our first four franchises. The cool thing is, next year, we're going to launch four more franchises. So, you know, season one, our plan is eight franchises playing from November 1st to December 30th here in the region Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Doha. So we're going to have even more players that we can add to the mix. Um, But, you know, when we had Karin Patel drafted number one overall, um, when his story is amazing, I mean, in 2017, he became the. The first player of Indian descent drafted in Major League Baseball. Um, now he was drafted number one overall by the Mumbai Cobras. His dad is from Mumbai, so just a really cool, special story with with Karen. I mean, Stephen Moya going number two overall, one of the top draft picks. Um, you know, and, and prospects in the Detroit Tigers system for many years. Just a a, a, a beast, six foot seven, you know, six eight. But the nicest guy, nicest kid, Um, of course, when we had big sexy drafted, you know, Bartolo Colon drafted 16th overall, second round, Um, you know, everybody. I mean, talk about a gentle giant that like has a virtually unanimous approval rating, 100 percent approval rating. Like everybody loves Bartolo. Um, That's what's pretty special. I saw some comments for guys like, oh, man, this is an old timers league, you know, it's where the with old guys go to play, and, which is funny. And, and really the reality is it is an opportunity for guys in their 30s to, to extend, expand and evolve their career. I mean, that's that's a strategy of ours. But when you actually look at the numbers, man, because, again, as you know, from my childhood, I'm like a numbers geek, like <laughs> the average age of a major league baseball player is 29 years old. The average age of the players that we drafted is 31. So it, it's it's about the same. But we are giving guys
1: more opportunities, um, particularly those guys that have performed,
0: you know, previously in their career.
1: So Cash, as we begin to wrap up here, let's talk about the showcase. Tickets are on sale November twenty fourth, twenty fifth as the showcase. Tickets are on sale at baseballunited.com right now. Is that correct? Yep. Showcase is going to be a,
0: a massive, massive event, a um, huge milestone for professional baseball, for baseball across the world. The first games ever in the Middle East, first professional games ever in the Middle East and, and, and the subcontinent. Um, two games, two game series. Baseball United All Stars Showcase, our Baseball United East All Stars versus our West All Stars. Opening night, Bartolo Colon is going to be on the bump, taking the, taking the mound against Jair Jurgens. Another amazing player, former All-Star, that's part of our, our team. It's going to be an awesome experience um, playing at Dubai or Nashville Stadium. Um, tickets are on sale. You know, this this market I'm learning and I've been told it's more of like a Miami type market. It's a late buying market. So I'm like looking at ticket sales like, all right, guys, I'm getting nervous. We got to sell some more <laughs> tickets. But, but you know, we want to get as many people as we can in the stadium just to experience it, man, because it's going to be kind of a traditional baseball experience. You're going to have your hot dogs. You're going to have your popcorn. We're going to have a seventh inning stretch. We're going to have the national anthem of the UAE and the USA. You know, we're going to have all those ceremonial things that a lot of us take for granted back home, but just talking about it and telling you about it, man, it gives me goosebumps because it's never happened here before. And it's truly history. I know you're going to be there too, which I'm pumped about, Mm -hmm. which, which is going to be awesome, you know, just to have great content creators, baseball leaders like yourself out there experiencing it. Um, But yeah, man, we're trying to sell as many tickets as possible and just really get as many people into that stadium as we can.
1: Well, I'm super pumped to be there. And uh, once again, I appreciate the opportunity to go out there. I cannot wait to cover the sport out there and just honestly just experience Dubai and the culture and everything. Um, So Cash, what does a successful showcase look like to you? Oh man. Well, you know, I'd love to have,
0: you know, the stadium holds 25,000 people. The lower bowl's 10,000. Um about 9,000 sellable seats. If we filled half those 9,000, it would be a success. It'd be a big success honestly because that doesn't typically happen out here. It's not what we're used to. 42,000 people at Minute Maid Park. It's not what happens. We when we talk about challenges another shift like people aren't used to going showing up in droves to sporting events like that out here. So that would be a monumental success. And that's what we're trying to do from a just environment, ticket sales, fans and stands standpoint. But other than that, man, I mean, look, we're going to be broadcasting around the world, Japan, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, back home in the States, Europe. I mean, people are going to have a chance to see the game whether they're here or not. We want to put on a great show. We want to enable people to see a Good, fun competition. It's gonna have that all-star weekend vibe to it. Um, we got some cool new rules we're gonna be introducing and sharing pretty soon in the next couple of weeks that are gonna be fun. Not not full on banana ball. We're not we're not gonna be doing cartwheels mm-hmm. or you know the Macarena or anything like that, but we are introducing some things to drive some excitement. And, you know, just playing the games, man, when that first pitch is thrown, um, I know I'm going to be pretty emotional and, and, and hopefully you and other other folks will be, too, because we're all going to be part of history. You know, we're all going to be part of something that's never been done before. And I tell my team every day we have a generational opportunity, truly a once and a generation opportunity to do something that's never been done before, create a whole new sports league, introduce a whole new sport to an entirely new part of the world that's yet to experience it. And it's going to
1: start with the showcase on November 24th and 25th. So my last question for you, Cash, before I let you go here, the next five years, what does Baseball United look like? How does it evolve?
0: Well, like I said, there's probably going to be a billion changes and pivots and shifts along the way. Uh, Because that's just how it goes. But you know what? What we're looking to do is have, um, you know, continue to grow and add franchises across the region. And we, you know, our goal is to be the most successful international professional baseball league in the world. We know MLB is the gold standard, and um, you know that's the the aspirational place for anybody that picks up a a bat and a glove. But we want to be the number one international baseball league in the world, and we got our work cut out for us because there's an amazing um, list. Of great international leagues um, in with the MPB in Japan, with KBO in Latin America. Um, but you know what what I see in five years is I see twelve to fourteen franchises playing in six to seven countries um, playing November through February. Still in that winter ball, typical winter ball timing, but not really a winter ball league. I mean, more winter ball by uh, climate restrictions because, if, you know, March to October is pretty damn hot out here. So I don't think we want to send guys out in 120 degree weather. But, you know, until we have dome stadiums, we'll probably be playing Febu- you know, November to February as we start to really ramp up. And, you know, I just see the game really picking up and growing here. I mean, the fan base is a highly educated, um, you know, highly active fan base already. And it's just starting to grow and people are looking for the next big sport. And, 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 you know, it being America's pastime, baseball being America's pastime, um, it's pretty cool because when I talk to kids in India, kids in Pakistan, et cetera, um, they're inspired by that and they aspire to be connected to that. And for us to be able to now be on the ground, teach them, the game at our grassroots level, but also have a professional league now with franchises in their backyard, with players that look like them that they can aspire to and players that are some of the best in the world from all over the world. You know, we've got 20 different, co- 20 plus countries on our rosters. Um, that's going to be cool. That's going to be special.
1: Cash shake. I really appreciate you joining today and I can't wait to talk to you in Dubai. We'll see you soon. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Stat where the game's heartbeat never fades.